Welcome to Avowedcast, the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG game titled Avowed. This is a podcast for fans by fans. We are not affiliated with Obsidian in any way, but we promise we would never make them play a bard in Baldur's Gate 3. And speaking of Baldur's Gate 3, today we will offer our impressions and experiences with the game, and we'll also kind of speculate how the massive success of this game might affect other games, other studios, and the CRPG genre in general. A simple understanding of a complex situation. Welcome to the Valcast. We got a, a bunch of people here today to talk about Baldur's Gate 3. So we're super excited. We Some of us have been playing it. I, I don't know if all of us have yet. We're going to get into that in a second. Um, but we wanted to really kind of give our general impressions on Baldur's Gate 3, but we also wanted to uh, kind of spend a little time to talk about how the popularity of this game might affect future development. Um, will this have an effect on future product projects from Obsidian? You know, it, it, it might. So we'll talk about some of that. Um, I wanted to start out by going around the horn real quick and seeing what everybody's been playing other than Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> if that's all you've been playing, then just tell us, and we'll talk more about that later in the podcast. I will start. It's all I've been playing. That's it for me. <laughs> so I will move on. Rimmeran, um, what have you been playing lately? Uh, well, I only did the tutorial of Baldur's Gate 3 uh, because I know that I can't... Uh, Starfield's coming out next week, and I was not going to be able to finish um, Baldur's Gate before Starfield. So I decided to play something in my backlog, and it was Arcanum of Steamworks and Magic's Obscura, I believe is the Amazing full game, by the way. I love in that game. I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think I like it better than PoE 1. Really? Like, wow. There was something about that game that just the story, grabbed though, me. It's, the I mean, story, it's good. It's good. Well, but I... the, the, the story's a lot like like if someone watched too many episodes of the X-Files, yeah. it's a lot of conspiracy. <laughs> uh, but but the, I, I just love, one, the world, but I just love the, building my character. It's a classless system, and I, it's totally unbalanced. The, the combat's not super great, but for some reason, it's just so much fun building and playing different characters and... and balancing between magic or if you're going to use magic use magic if not technology and like the there's like i think like literally hundreds of options uh for you yeah. uh, in character creation it's super cool i i really love that game and i actually shout out to um parenthesis for giving me uh or linking me the unofficial arcanum patch uh by by someone named drog blacktooth and then the cinematic um upscaled cinematics so i modded it with those two things and i got a more slightly more modern experience but i i was ready to play it at super low resolution right with really really low resolution cinematics but uh i was able to play it with this unofficial patch and apparently the game was super buggy um i don't i don't know that because i only played it with the unofficial patch which apparently fixes a ton of those bugs so if anybody is going to play that definitely definitely do the unofficial patch very good recommendation. A parenthesis, what have you been up to uh, other than BG3, of course, if you're playing that? Not playing that, I'm afraid. But um, a game recently came out called Six Ages Likes Going Out. So 
being the good completionist I am, I figured, hey, wait a minute, I haven't completed the prequel of the game before it. So I have been playing Seagages Right Like the Wind, which is a clan management game set in Glorantha, the same setting as King of Dragon Pass. And the game is essentially also a modern rethread of King of Dragon Pass. But it's set several centuries in the past compared to King of Dragon Pass. And you are a group of people who have been forced to uh, leave your capital city and become a nomad people. Um, and you've been there for a while, but now you've found a valley and settle in, and you're doing your best to forge a new life for, for your people. But but it's tough because there are a lot of other clans around and there are disasters waiting to happen. Nice. I know uh, King of Dragon Pass pretty well. I mean, it's uh, made a pretty big splash on Steam. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a pretty big rating. Um, so the, I haven't looked at this one though. Um, pretty, so you sounds like you're pretty happy with it. Oh yes. I mean, it's, it, it's certainly different and it's, it's a bit more, I mean, the King of Dragon Pass has the advantage that you are, you are playing as the Auslanthi, which is essentially a, a very aggressive, very warrior-like people. And, and the people you're playing now is not the Auslanthi. In fact, they are, they are one of your enemies. They are the Ram people. Uh, or you call, you call them the Ram people. Uh, so, so they're like, they are these lunatics over here. And we're just, you know, trying to make our life here and ride our horses, which we are blessed to do by the gods. But so, so it's, it's a bit more somber game. Um, and you need to be aware of that when you're going in. It's not just your, your usual uh, Soto murder Vikings. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Kiwi, have you been uh, playing any games other than Baldur's Gate 3? Hippity hoppity, PG3 is now the normality. Hallelujah. <laughs> I was also, also trying to decipher that. Gingerino, <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, uh, I've mostly been playing Baldur's Gate 3. Um, in the mornings, I can't because my PC is in the same room as my bedroom. I get up at 5 a.m., so I can't play a game at 5 a.m. and wake up my wife. Yeah. Um. So in the morning, I play like half hour of a game. I've been playing uh, a short hike, which just came out on Game Pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've played that game before. It's such a satisfying just jump in. Very relaxing, I think. Love it so much. Uh, This is the second time I've played it and I like did everything just like I did the first time. It's yeah, I I don't know. It's It's a cute little game. Interesting little characters, fun little gamey mechanics that don't explain themselves, you know. Yeah, it's an it's a nice break between the big games too, for sure. It really, it really is. Like I finished it in like a week by just doing like twenty to thirty minute sessions, and it was just it was overall pleasant. Otherwise, yeah, I've been going hard at Baldur's Gate three. I've had quite the, um, I've had quite the experience getting to play the game, but I'm finally in a place where I can finally friggin' play it, and I'm just going right through it. It's awesome can't I've wait to, to hear more about that for well, sure i've had to buy it twice is is a short version oh we'll, we'll, we'll get into that because I, I had an experience with it too but i i uh i want to talk about a couple of news items uh just heard that uh bg3 baldur's gate 3 is going to be released for the xbox series consoles now whereas before that was suspect because of this rule that they have where if you release, if you're a developer and you release a game on the Series X, it has to have the same features available on the Series S. 
Um, and the big problem was that there was, uh, they had an, uh, an inability to make split screen work on the series S, um, and therefore were, uh, delaying until they could get that to work to kind of, I guess, fit with Microsoft's requirement. It's funny because Microsoft has always been kind of, they come out with these rules and then they, they end up having to change them. I don't know if you remember back in the Xbox Live days, they came out with a, for their live games, they had to have like a 25 megabyte uh, size limit. And then, and then these developers were creating these indie games that were releasing on, on other platforms. And people were like, wait, why don't you release it? And Xbox is like, well, it's, 27 megabytes and they're like are you kidding me and so eventually they had to roll back they did it for final fantasy they did it for a couple of other things um so it's interesting to see them have to backpedal a little bit but i'm glad they did because i don't really care about split screen and i think most people don't um so fine uh, it'll be on the xbox series consoles the funny thing about it is the last week I've been playing it on my Xbox, which I'll explain later, which is really funny. So anyway, and it plays fantastic. Uh, but moving on, uh, there was some news officially released. Uh, we kind of talked about this before on a previous podcast, but Devoted, which is a, uh, a game development studio, um, is now confirmed to be taking a bigger role in helping, quote unquote, create stunning 3D assets for Avowed. So they have expanded their partnership with Obsidian um, and they previously worked on some, I don't know if they're smaller games, but different games. They Five Nights at Freddy's was one of their games. Um, they did a life simulator called Play, Pal, Palia, I think. I can't remember. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, I think this is a huge positive news in my opinion because it's really pushing it's really telling me that they're pushing forward into the next generation and not just recycling and retexturing outer worlds assets, which is what I was worried about. So that's good. They're bringing in a studio to help with these 3d assets to make them look fresh, new and nice. Um, I, we talked about this before on a podcast, but I'll just briefly mention it again. Obsidian, uh, has finished their documentary on YouTube. It was a five-part documentary uh, about the 20 years of their development. Um, there's five episodes that are about 20 to 30 minutes each episode. Highly recommend you go watch it. <clears throat> episode five is the most interesting one if you're an Avowed fan because they talk about a lot of things. They go into the Microsoft acquisition and how that affected their uh, studio. They talked about Outer Worlds a little bit, Grounded, Pentiment. And then they do the <laughs> avowed apology tour, um, which <laughs> is coming to a neighborhood near you. And um, they, I guess the big reveal during that interview was that they talk, was that Fergus goes, comes out and takes the bullet and says, it was me. It was me. I'm the one who encouraged them to make an, a cooperative open world multiplayer fantasy um, and take, shoot your things at me, not at anyone else. Yada, yada, as a studio lead should do, of course. Um, but that, I guess, was the big reveal in news is that we finally got that confirmed, theoretically. Um, but they do spend about five minutes in that video um, explaining themselves and ex instead of explaining the game, which I thought was bizarre. Um, hopefully they are done taking that stance and they'll just focus on communicating 
what it will be instead of what it won't be. Um, we kind of need more of that. But overall, I love the documentary. I, I know that it's a bit glossy. We talked about how they kind of polish over some of their missteps and mistakes and, and issues that happened with different games they kind of didn't talk about. Uh, but it's good to have something like that for a studio like Obsidian because we do love Obsidian. I love their studio. I give them a hard time, but I love them. Um, and I do kind of feel that this was needed, you know, as a, to showcase them as a big part of that Microsoft uh, studio. You know, they're one of the bigger assets that they now own. Um, anybody want to comment on either that episode five or overall what they thought about it now that it's completely finished? Um, any thoughts on that documentary? I know. I really liked it. I It, it kind of like re-emboldened my excitement for Avowed personally and I liked all the history and all the games they had it made me like as they were talking about all these games they made it made me realize like holy shit I love every game these guys freaking make and so that, that kind of transferred over to Avowed and even Outer Worlds too where I'm like I know I'm gonna like it there's I mean I guess there's always a chance I won't who knows right but uh, I don't know I'm I'm super pumped I don't mind so much about what you called the apology tour I you know I thought it was actually kind of interesting <laughs> it's like the magical mystery tour there should be music when we say that it's like <laughs> we're coming to a town near you folks Good. you could you could go into the uh YouTube audio <laughs> library just put a nice little look uh, oh my god I was like stop telling us what it's not gonna be and tell us what it is gonna be uh, I, anyway I didn't, I didn't mind it so much though like I kind of was like oh interesting like you guys originally pitched it like that i wonder what kind of original design details might be in the final product with that original pitch i don't know i but you know, that's me like like i get, I get it. it most I get people it. don't like that stuff they just want to know like what's going to happen well, i don't care what the game isn't going to be i care what the game is i i totally get it i'm one of those few people that i'm like oh that's interesting i'm gonna file that away um, uh, anybody else have any thoughts uh they want to share about that I thought it was excellent, though. Uh, multiplayer in Avowed would, I feel like, would be, to me, I, I know some people like things like that would be a huge waste of time. And there's a lot of history with multiplayer in CRPGs, um, or at least a type of co-op, like Baldur's Gate 3. Um, having <laughs> a game we're talking about screen, today. You know? But I'm glad that they decided to narrow their scope and do what they do best, I think, in my opinion. Oh, Agreed. I hate Agreed. that word. It's like my kid coming home, get doing a shit project and saying, but it's what I'm good at. I'm good. <laughs> at, at, I'm good at writing short stories. I know they wanted me to make something longer and be, yeah, but no, this is me. This is my thing. Whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> parenthesis, you got any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, uh, there wasn't any new information for me. So uh, as, as you all have, as the rest of you have said, this is, as Sora has pointed out, it is more about saying, at the current rate, they're just saying what it isn't. And I would like to tell me what it is. It's, it's, it has been L after L for about um, image. And I, I would like some, at least, if not, if not wins, then at least tell me what it is, what, what, what you think it, it is good at. Because at, at this point, I guess the average gamer is expecting it to be be a be a ball on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Kiwi, did you watch it at all? Have you seen any of the documentary yet? 
I watched the first episode, then I here and there watched the last episode, but other than that, not really. I, the format or structure of those didn't really interest me. Yeah, and and, and they definitely weren't deep dives. Yeah, I, I think they talked about things that they found interesting, not me. Good point, good point. And I think, I, I will say this, I feel like, I feel like this is them laying their cards on the table and saying, look, this is what happened. This is where we're at. So I'm hoping, I really feel at this point, I'm hoping that they're going to move forward past all that and just, um, like Parenthesis said, just talk about what we're going to get. Let's, let's, let's manage expectations. That's fine. But let's, let's communicate. Let's get into what we're going to see in Avowed. And uh, it's close enough. It's within a year's of release. I mean, right? Because it's, we're coming up on the fall. Even if it releases next fall, it's, it's within that year window. Now's the time you really need to start communicating with your audience. And I believe, in fairness, they just did that. They released a new trailer. They did a little bit of a, a press tour where they talked to magazines. And they also had that little... Uh, at the showcase where Carrie Patel talks. So credit where credit's due. I appreciate that. I just want more of it. Um, don't scurry back into your dark corner. Come out, talk to us. We're excited about your product. We're excited about your games. Let us know what's going on. Um, with that said, we want to jump into what we're talking about today, which is Baldur's Gate 3, where, where I'm definitely excited to talk about it. Um, some real quick stats before I get your impressions. Um, uh, for those who don't know, Larian Studios, who made the game, they're they're based in Belgium. They were founded in 1996, which is like 27 years ago. So they've been around for a while. I actually remember playing their Divinity games, not the original Sin games, but the original Divinity games. I used to play those those games and loved them. They're they're best known now in modern gaming for the Divinity Original Sin series. The first one was in 2014, and then. Original Sin 2 is in 2017. They have since, you know, released enhanced versions of both um, with upgraded graphics and some other things, some other goodies. Both great games. Um, BG3, Baldur's Gate 3, has been in beta for three years now, since 2020. Um, throughout that time, they have had a really strong and consistent relationship with the players, including regular communication about updates, patches, features, and story. They have not been shy. I will say that. And I really like that about them, the confidence they have and that they know the internet's a horrible place. They know people are going to beat them up eventually, um, on everything, but they're not afraid to get out there. And they've really, they even every year since then, they've held a large, like customer focused events where they invite players to mingle with developers and share thoughts. And that kind of stuff just makes me excited because yes, you're going to get critiques, but that's part of life. And you just need to put yourself out there and you'll be surprised when you do that, how, most gamers will respond to that. So opening weekend stats were revealed. I'm sure a lot of you saw this. It was a post on Steam, I think is when it first hit. Um, and there's a lot of cool stats on there. <coughs> Excuse me. It's their community update 23. And this was their, uh, I guess, opening weekend stats where they talked about 
some things like uh, players have played at least uh, 10 million hours. Jeez, that can't be right. Yeah, that is. Okay. Um, or that equates to over 1,225 years of gameplay, <laughs> which is insane. Um, and then uh, they talked about some of the favorite characters that people liked, how um, some of the companions, people really liked Gale, uh, was my least favorite, but a lot of people's favorite. Um, anyway, if you're not familiar with that, they have this really great post in Steam community where they talk about some of the stats, and we won't go all, over all of them here, but just suffice it to say they are celebrating this game and its popularity and sharing that excitement with the fans. It did hit 875,000 concurrent players on Steam, and it has remained the number one seller since release which I guess was only three weeks ago, right? Or four, three or four weeks ago. Uh, for concurrent players, it is now in third place all time behind Hogwarts Legacy at number two and Elden Ring at number one. Uh, critic reviews from around the gamut, uh, people who gave it perfect scores are IGN, uh, VGM, GameSpot, GamesRadar, Guardian, PC Magazine, and a whole ton of others. Metacritic general rating is 96 for critical reviews and 9.1 for user scores. And this one I thought was really telling. Uh, PC Gamer, which is typically a pretty conservative uh, game magazine for their reviews, um, gave it a 97 out of 100, which is their highest score, I think, in like 17 years. Um, and they gave this quote, which I think is something important to consider, where they state that we're living through a seminal moment in the history of PC gaming. That's a pretty big quote. I mean, yes, you could lambast that in saying that they're kind of getting caught up in the moment, but I don't think so. Um, it's definitely pushed Tears of the Kingdom out of the conversation for Game of the Year, leaving really only Starfield as the only legitimate contender. Um, is it perfect? No. Depends on your definition of perfect. There's still bugs, broken quests, but the experience for me is pretty flawless. So I know that, uh, Gingerino, you've been playing it. I know Kiwi played it. I know that uh, Rimmerin played the introduction. And I know Parenthesis, you haven't played it. So we're going to start by avoiding any major spoilers um, and just kind of talk about the game in general. Um, and I just want to get where you're at in the game, what your experience was in the game. Um, I will say real briefly at the beginning, I started out playing on PC, which was great. Um, but I was playing on my daughter's PC because she, of course, you give your child the best and you take the crap. Um, I have this little crappy Dell and she has a, a really nice razor. Uh, so when she was home and she has been home for the summer, I, I was playing it on her computer and it was fantastic. But then I switched back to mine and, Ooh, boy, uh, it was not so good because I don't have a, a really a gaming laptop. So Kiwi actually uh, was the one responsible for pointing out to me to give GeForce Now a try. <laughs> and oh my God, right. I am stunned. I am absolutely stunned. I have played this game on my crappy Dell. I have played it on the Xbox using the Edge browser. This is all through GeForce Now. I have played this game last night. I was playing this game on my iPad. 
this isn't an iPad Pro. This is like an iPad 7 from like six years ago. And it played fantastic. I am stunned. I am literally, I did not think, I thought I was going to get jumpiness. And I, granted, I, I did the ultimate route, but I'm just absolutely flabbergasted. I think this is the future. There's no question about it. No more buying $4,000 gamer rigs when you can do it this way. Uh, there are limitations. GeForce Now only has certain games right now on it. Um, but hey, it worked for me. So I'll stop talking. I want to move on to you guys. Um, I want to jump to you first, Gingerino. Let's hear um, how much have you been playing? What has been your impressions so far as a CRPG fan? And uh, what have you liked? What have you not liked? Um, okay, well, Baldur's, I've been enjoying it, is, is the long is the short version of that. It, it's an absolutely phenomenal game. It's crazy what they managed to pull off with it. Um, I kind of have the same story as you. I, <laughs> I played it on my PC. And it's not a very good PC. No offense, little girl. No, no offense. She's right here. I should not <laughs> say that right in front of her. But anyways, uh, I got to act two and my PC was having so much trouble that when I literally clicked on a spot just for my party to walk somewhere, my frame rates would go to zero. So it looked like my game had froze. And then as soon as they reached their destination, then the game would start moving again. So I couldn't actually see anything move. That's how bad it was. And I'm like, shoot, what am I going to do? And I remember Kiwi bringing up GeForce Now. So I looked into the option. But the thing is, is I bought it on GOG Galaxy. And oh, they didn't crap. support it. <laughs> so I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I mulled over it for a week. And, you know, eventually I just took a shot of tequila and I bought it on Steam again. <laughs> oh, my God. That's 120 bucks. Out of your pocket. Oh, and then it gets better because if you're on GeForce now, you have the free tier. Right. Playing this game on GeForce's free tier is not really good. It does not work. Yeah. Well, it could. It can work like I tested to see if it was responsive enough. And it is. But the problem is, is you're you're going to wait in line for a while. Yeah. And you only and, get an hour. And you only, only get an hour. You... But what happens if you're at like 45 minutes into your hour and then you hit a big boss fight? You know, it's going to kick you out in the middle of the fight. So it's like it's not it's not really you could make it work, right? Like you could play half hour segments each day, but it would just it would be no fun. So then I had to pay for the priority membership on top of it. So, <laughs> did you do the second rank or did you go all the way up? I just I just did priority. I just did. Okay, the, I'm curious. Rank. I'm curious to hear. Is that, did it work pretty well? Oh, yeah, it works fine. I, I, honestly, but I think a game like Baldur's Gate is perfect for a cloud gaming platform because lag. I haven't noticed any lag, but if there was, it's not really a huge issue. You know, it, you don't have to have like twitchy responsiveness like you would in a first person shooter because that's all very um kind yeah. of reflex based this game like if there was a if there was a tiny bit of lag which again i'm not noticing but if there was it's like no oh, that's that's fine i'm at least playing the game now it looked like a friggin playstation 3 game when i was playing it on my pc yeah, it was so here. bad but now i have everything running on high and it looks great. Everything loads in right away. The cutscenes, which I can now actually watch, are fantastic. It, it's and it's been such a great game. It's been hell in a handbasket to get playing this game. But the fact that I went through all that and didn't stop trying tells you just how great the game is. Like even when it was crappy on my PC, um, I, I, I'm still pushing through. I've given up on other games for stupider reasons. 
And yeah. I didn't give up with Baldur's Gate 3. It's, it's too bad they don't let you validate other purchases. I, I guess I understand why. I guess I, I get why, but uh, it's too bad because there's a lot of people who bought it that way the first time as well because Steam is, I mean, for all the great things about it, it's kind of can be a pain in the ass, especially if you don't of, have a great internet connection or and then it's just sometimes they are a bit of a pain. I've had issues with GOG Galaxy. I actually sent them an email because I, I couldn't update Baldur's Gate 3 as well. But that's we're not going to I'm not going to complain about all the technical issues I've had. That's the only gripe I've had with Baldur's Gate 3 is that despite the fact that it is a phenomenal achievement in gaming, like what they've what they've managed to pull off. There was some technical issues at launch uh, on a variety of things that I'm like, that shouldn't have, it shouldn't have been like that. It shouldn't have been shipped out with that issue there or this miscommunication. So I'm a little bit pissy, but it's still just a phenomenal game. So, you know, worth it. Excellent. Um, Kiwi, I know you've been playing it because you've been sharing some stuff with us. I'd like to hear, uh, is this the greatest CRPG ever made, Kiwi? Mm, I don't think it's better than BOV one. All right, I take that. Uh, I, I I can see that. I can see that. I mean, it's. I think the biggest thing is how, like, just how large it is and how much time they've spent. Like, it's whatever they did, it they did it right. Like getting some kind of a way of working to get all this like there's so much content what what they did write two million words and there's like 170 hours of like the spoken dialogue it's uh it's gargantuan game uh what i have been doing myself i i've done like i haven't played played the game through yet i start started with uh, like a dark urge character and did an evil party and I got to act three and then I then I uh, I don't know got got fed up for a while did a new group with a good playthrough in a way on tactician mode and I got to act two now I mean I think the game actually gets better on second playthrough much better because you make so many mistakes on the first one first go that it's the second playthrough is kind of redeeming in that way. And I've been playing on GeForce now because my computer is like nine years old at least. So. <laughs> well, so. thank you for making that recommendation because that, not just for this game, but I, I tested out on my iPad the other night, I tested out um, Doom Eternal and it plays smooth as silk and it is super beautiful and i'm like i can't believe this is an ipad 7 like 400 i just i can't believe it so yeah. thank you for that recommendation yeah it changed to my life mm. and like ginger you know i took the prior just the priority not the ultimate and it's yeah. it's been fine uh but i'll tell more when we get to the section where we like give some kind of a review or yeah. pros and cons about the game Okay, excellent. Thank you for sharing that. So, Remoran, where where are you at? Are you have you gotten through Act One? What's your impression overall? Are you completely hooked, or have you had some level of disappointment? What is your impression? I know you again. You you didn't get through Act One because you said you just played the intro, but what is your impression from what you've done with it? 
I, I know I'm going to love it. I can already tell. Um, and I played through uh, Divinity Original Sin 2, so I, I get kind of what their vibe is, the, the, the studio, Larian. And I really just did that, the, the whole intro on the, on the ship, and uh, made a bunch of characters. I, I've played in a couple different you know, 5e campaigns, so I've just been making my characters from those campaigns, and I've been having a lot of fun doing that. Um, so I can already tell I'm going to spend uh, a ridiculous, unhealthy amount of hours play playing this game. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely sucks sucks you in. I also have played both of the original Sin games. Um, liked them both. Uh, probably leaning a little bit more of the original Sin one was my favorite of the two. Um, uh, I and I don't know if this is completely fair because I haven't played tactician mode, but it does feel like BG three is at least. In, in normal level of difficulty, slightly less brutal than Original Sin 2 was, um, especially at the beginning of that game. I thought it was insane. Um, obviously, once you get your character going, it's not so bad. But I was a little concerned with that. With Baldur's Gate 3, I was concerned that it was going to have that, that really steep hill at the beginning. But they did a really good job, I think, of making it not just accessible, but giving you a variety of ways to get out of situations. Um, me being a DM myself, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I've played it since I was a little kid. Uh, fifth edition is by far my favorite because it's the least messy and least complicated. Although, of course, I have, you know, yearnings for second edition and some other things. But it's definitely the best one to be adapted for a video game, in my opinion. And one of the things I noticed while I was playing this, um, I don't know how many of you have actually played D&D &D before, but this game is remarkable because it does such a great job of teaching people the mechanics of a pen and paper D&D &D game. And that blew my mind away. Like it does such a great, my daughter was playing this game, right? And she was playing, uh, she, she, she got pretty far. I'm pretty proud of her. But she was playing this game and, and we were talking about it. And she's like, you know what? It One thing it does is it really helps me realize some of those murky rules that I had trouble really grasping in D&D &D when I was playing as a beginner. This game really kind of helped me figure that out, you know, and, and, and it sounds very simple, but things like attack of opportunities and um, dashing versus regular movement and what you're allowed to do on your turn and what bonus actions are and how spell slots work and all of that stuff. While to a veteran D and D player, you're saying, well, that's like simple, but for people who are beginning, that's sometimes some of that stuff is a little bit hard to completely grasp. You just kind of smile and nod your head. Yeah, I get it, but you don't really get it. This game playing through it for me um, as a D and D player I just and I'm an I consider myself an expert because I've been playing it for so long and being a DM, I still learn things um, about spells, about it was just really great teaching uh, mechanism for somebody who's interested in learning about D&D &D. Um, and for those who play it as very rewarding to have a way to do it in a solo campaign where it feels like you're part of a group. They really made it feel that way to me. 
any, I'm curious, anybody else here who plays D and D, did you have any impressions um, when you played it? I thought it was interesting how, and I've seen this like written in articles or other people talking about it. I find it interesting how they took some of the more, um, I'll call it like theater of the mind it spells or things like that. The one that comes to mind is thaumaturgy. Oh yeah. It, Cause like when uh, someone was telling me when they first started playing it in early access, that it's really true to the rules, which I thought was impressive. But then I, I would always kind of like disregard it thinking, well, you know, there's certain spells where it's like you make a harmless sensory experience or, you know, the smell of cinnamon wafts through the air or something stupid like that. Right. And it's like, how do you gamify something that can, that is that relies on the player's imagination to come up with a spell when you're playing at the table. And I feel like they did a good job of making them gamey. So in the, in the case of thaumaturgy, they basically just give you advantage on intimidation and performance checks. And I'm like, you know what? That checks out. Like most of the time, that's probably what exactly. you would do Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so in those situations, I think they chose really appropriate game mechanics for fluffy stuff i'm calling it and other otherwise like the the mechanics are it's really cool i think they've changed a few things though didn't they like uh, i don't know if the shove mechanic is something that i remember playing (laughs) on the table a lot i I don't know i I haven't i haven't researched it so i haven't read about what they they changed obviously you're gonna have to manipulate certain things specifically for what you said theater of the mind you know you have to Things in pen and paper are designed to be part of the imagination. They have to flesh that out, obviously, somehow in a mechanical way that makes sense. And they've done a great job. Like, I I know this is going to be a sin to a lot of people listening, but I don't generally like turn based mechanics. (laughs) I know, like, a lot of people. I'm sorry. I'm hitting it. comes out. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy it. I'm not saying I don't enjoy it or that it is bad. I am just saying that, like, I don't prefer it. I, I like I like my action to be um, real time, concurrent with other people. I don't. It's just it's not my thing. I don't like to slow down that much. But that said, there's something about playing D and D at the table where turn based doesn't bother me. Like it's fun. Like they it, the mechanics are really well thought out because that's the only way you could play it at the table. And Baldur's Gate three has done that. Like I have never once entered into turn based mode and been like, all right, here we go again. You know they they've made it dynamic and exciting. Let just like the tabletop. I've never had that issue. So I don't know. I, I think they do a good job sticking the rules. I think it's uh it's crazy considering that you're trying to transpose tabletop to video game. One of the things that excites me, and I hope this is gonna happen down the road, is they've really they've really gone into they they've really I won't say master mastered because I'll get emails about that, but they've nailed down pretty well uh the D D mechanic and how a it is the best and i've played them all back to pools of radiance i've played all the D games on computer this one is the only one i've ever played that really got it right i mean nailed it and sure there's little things you can say about it to complain but they got it down but the good thing about that is that means they've they've done the hard work they've got the hard work out of the way so so now they can just start releasing modules like they 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 will obviously have a sequel. They'll have DLC for Baldur's Gate three. They've already said they're working on it. But what I could see is I could see this system easily be adapted for things like Curse of Strahd or 
Yes. Um, any of the other big modules, they could easily do that. There's it, this, the work is done. It's just, all you have to do is the, well, I know that it's, it's not little, but you have to work on the graphics. You have to create the environments, but the, the back end is finished. The hard part, the getting that right, which is obviously a hard part because I've 25 years of playing video games. I've never seen one get it right. So they got it right. Can, so for me, you... that's impressive. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, can you imagine the DLCs being not like expansions on the story, but like actual module, D&D modules? Like if they do uh, Curse of Strahd, basically a second game uh, that just does that whole module or even just the, the, the 5e like beginner module, uh, things like that. Like, I feel like you could do so much with, with the systems that they already built. Uh, and and I'll say this real quick because I feel like turn I I didn't play too much so I can't talk about like specific spells but I feel I feel like turn base is one of the big things that they did correct here because I feel like other D and D games try to abstract the 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 rules so much that I feel like it takes away from from the experience whereas like this one with turn based it's slow enough that you can get oh i see you can totally see the the like the transfer of tabletop rules to 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 the actual table and then and i think this is a big one having the dice show up was a, is a huge yeah. and i think awesome yes. choice yes. Yep. it's awesome. such a good idea I, like just being able to see oh plus 2 it's plus 2 because i have a specific exactly. strength you know what i mean that i think is able to to show players especially who are not in D&D like i've had a couple friends who are like oh i want to play um Baldur's Gate 3 because you know i dm a lot so they they'll play characters like first time uh players and i'll say oh you got to play Baldur's Gate and they're like oh i'm not that great at D&D i'm like no no, no. it's it's like exactly oh um, not exactly but it's pretty much exactly like uh, the table experience, you even see your dice roll. And I think that grabs people. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't hide all that behind a curtain like other games. You know, they like made it very clear, like this is a and d game. Though, didn't I, wasn't Karmic Dice, wasn't Karmic Dice a default thing that they did here? Because I don't, because I, I only read a little bit about it, but making it so you don't get too many bad streaks or good streaks. Yes, it is. And there's actually a setting where you can turn that off if you want to. Um, but yeah, that is built into the programming. Don't like that. Don't like I that don't, at all. I, li I like it, actually, personally speaking. <laughs> I like it because it, doesn't it account for the DM part of the equation? Because if That's you're true. at a table and you're running a game and things are just going to shit and you see everybody's miserable and not having a good time, yeah. as a DM, it's your responsibility to... Make the help game with that karma you know to help. i never i never looked at it that way that's so funny have being you know having dm'd myself 100 percent. you're right yes you fudge rolls depending on the situation like if yeah. if a boss that 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 was supposed to feel epic uh is is becoming a little too easy because of just the rolls then you just fudge it a, just a tiny bit just a tiny bit so that it's a little bit harder or the opposite if if it's too hard for the players you make it a little bit easier yeah that or or you spin a bad role in a in a good way, like you create yeah. new narrative experiences. But a, a game is locked into what's been programmed into it. So I feel like that's a good mechanic. You guys changed my opinion in real time. <laughs> just so you know that. Yeah, not, not third base time. You know what I think Larian should do is I think that they should find a way to make 
because they like you said they made they nailed this system really well what i would really love to see is them handing off maybe like a generalized version of this system to other developers oh wow and be like hey licensing. now well well i don't know if you can license a thing that you've already licensed but if you can hand off the game mechanic systems for other people to use and then they can license D stuff that just means other developers are going to make their versions of Dungeons and Dragons games, possibly even like Remoran was saying, the official modules like someone might just some other developer might do Curse of Strahd and they'll take the great systems that Larian has developed with Baldur's Gate 3 and make well, an equally great game. That's like, essentially what they did with Fallout New Vegas, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not saying the assets, the assets, I think Larian should should not make public domain. That might be asking a little much, but like. The mechanics behind mechanics, like, gotcha. how they've made all the D&D rules work. I think that that would be such a great thing for the gaming community. And I'm sure there's a way that they would be able to benefit from it as well. Right. It's like a physics engine is the way you could look at it. It's like Havoc or something like that, where then they they work re- or Unreal. They work really hard to 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 build it so that making games is easier. This could be essentially very similar to that, I think. Um, but they've got a gold mine here. I think they're going to hold on to it pretty tightly for a little while. Yeah, at least and, for <laughs> And I hope that they open it up enough for the modding community that they're not, they're not just doing things like, oh, they're, you know, um, everybody's naked. Although you don't need a mod for that. But You don't need a mod for yeah. that. But my, my point being, I hope they let people do like they did for, for Skyrim, where people were making like, complete quest lines and stories that are not related at all to, you know, and building these mini games, uh, small games, uh, using every, all the assets and things. I I would love that because I can imagine the creativity in the community, what they would come up with. I would be a fan. So let's talk about, uh, kind of Kiwi hinted that we were just glossing over and, you know, that we want to dive in a little bit. So I'm going to pass it to Kiwi then. And, if you were to give this a rating, uh, let's use uh, uh, out of 10, right? That's easier. Uh, what would be your rating and what do you consider the crowning achievements? And then what are some things that they might need to work on? <sighs> I mean, I mean, people after me are going to speak like so highly of this game already. So I'm not of gonna give some space uh, for them on that but i mean to give a rating to a game that has just launched is filled like they have a lot of bugs of course some things that might get on your nerves still i mean now i would say eight and a half if they fix a bunch of stuff nine and a half maybe but i would say that the game it's really a lot like a la- typical larian game and well those who have played the games know what i mean but how how should i put this i have enjoyed the experience a lot uh, but i have also struggled through some difficulties and also faced some challenges that have come from the game design and there's like, I guess, two points that I would like to bring that I, one is something that cannot be changed anymore unless they make, I don't know, some DLC, uh, but, and, but the other is like still workable, 
but it would still require a lot of work. The first is like if you play an let's say an evil, you want to play the evil option, and there's a some companions in the game that you can choose, but some there's some that will not work with you if you go the evil route. They just don't. There are some that might, but you'll have to do some convincing. So for the most part, the you have very very much good good aligned characters, a lot of them. And there's actually practically no evil wizarding type. So if you are playing an evil party, you better pick an evil like a, uh, uh, like a wizard or something like that because you're not gonna get one. So I'd say the game lacks like the companions are very well made, but it lacks some like evil choices. If the game could have used like more companions, basically. This is something that I I don't think it's easily fixed because the game, all the companions are already like so well integrated to the story and to come up with new ones it's a it's a lot of work but i just think they didn't like consider enough the evil option but of course if you go evil option it's it's understandable the game becomes harder you know in a way but on top of that i also took the dark urge option which like complicated things a lot which ended up me killing a lot of my companions that i could have used so that uh, that was something uh, the other thing is uh, leveling, like getting experience. The, the game will reward you for a certain type of like uh, quest, like doing quests in a certain way, because you get you get more XP if you kill a bunch of stuff. If you go more of like a pacifist route, uh, you you are pretty much punished because you don't get so much ex so much XP. And if you like are playing an evil group and you like like decide to kill a bunch of people who would give you quests uh, you're missing out again and on my first playthrough i i basically like moving on like from act one to two and from two to three both times i was under leveled when i got there and it made things a lot harder but and i think you there should be more player freedom when it comes to like what how you settle thing, things and not be punished then by having less XP. Yeah, I totally get that. One of the things that you mentioned uh, off uh, off the podcast that I also kind of agree with is the long rest mechanic and how that is used by the game developers to push the story forward and how that wasn't really communicated at the beginning when I was playing. I didn't realize it either that how ne how necessary that was to push plot points forward, especially for some of the companions. Whereas in a game like um, I'll use Dragon Age Inquisition for example, the the story of your companions and their history is played out over the game. And what they tended to do in that game was when you went to a new area, when you kind of advanced to a new zone, um, there was new options and dialogue and there was new stories that would come out about the background of the companions that you wouldn't have gotten in the first area you started with or where you just came from the way that larian seems to be doing it for the most part again i 
I love the game, but for the most part, it seems to be that long rest mechanic. And that if you don't, if you try to go through this game without resting, you're going to be a little bit screwed. And I think they should have communicated that somehow up front. Maybe they did and I missed it, but I certainly missed it because um, there's some critical things that happen during the long rest uh, story-wise that are kind of huge that you would, I don't know if you get another way. Now, here's the argument against that. I've read people saying that Larian has built in a lot of different options for people taking different paths to play the game. So if you're, that, that, that maybe there is another way for that to happen. And I just don't know of it because I didn't do it. But I know Kiwi, you mentioned that long rest as you got into the, the second act and moving forward beyond that. Um, did you find yourself resting more because you discovered that was part of the way the story progresses? Mm. On the second playthrough, yes. Second playthrough, I I knew well. I I knew that for some companions or for some events, there would come some something interesting, and I would like say to myself, "I'm gonna take a long rest now because something's gonna happen." Right. Yeah. Without, and, yeah. Without getting yeah. spoilers, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But <laughs> that's also the ones. thing that that the game because long rest uses up like camp supplies. It for a first time player it, it might seem like I need to stay from long resting as long as possible because I might run out of supplies. <laughs> but I mean actually if you pick as much of camp, camp supplies if you that you find you're never gonna run out of them but uh, what do you know when you were playing it for the first time yeah exactly and um gingerino i'm curious i know you haven't gotten maybe as far as kiwi but you've gotten pretty far so if you were to give it a rating now uh from one to ten um what would it be for you would it be a perfect 10 is this the best crpg you've ever played i do want to give it a 10 out of 10 simply because and i kind of like follow ign's philosophy on this and like whether it's a like its impact in the gaming world is a big part of it so i want to give it a 10 out of 10 but i i'm gonna have to i mean and i say this sorrowfully even though this is a high number i'm gonna give it a (laughs) (laughs) 9.5 so what's the 0.5 then what why not a 10 what's there were five there were just there were some issues with the game that in in my opinion like as, as great as the game is it doesn't take away from like certain issues that did happen so for instance when it launched with a game breaking save issue like that shouldn't have happened i get that it can happen and i'm not like saying larian sucks as a studio so no no hate mail there but it's like that shouldn't happen even if it did happen and we understand why it shouldn't have happened there's a lot of people who loaded up the game day one played for hours and then found out that the game had a weird bug couldn't save and you had to start over and that would have ruined it for a lot of people. I'm sure they got a lot of refunds on that, and it just shouldn't have got out the gate that way. Uh, the second thing for me, anyways, and I know this isn't just me, and I know this happens in PC gaming quite a bit, but I feel like this this was really exaggerated. Um, when I looked up ahead of time the requirements for playing this game, I had a rig that exceeded minimum, and actually in some parts exceeded recommended. So I thought, okay, well that means based on their official statement, I should be able to play the game from start to finish. And that was not the case, right? 
So I ended up having to spend an extra amount of money and actually buy the game all over again on another platform so I could play it on the cloud. Otherwise, I would have had to wait until I upgraded my PC, right? So I'm kind of me and a lot of other PC gamers are in this weird corner where it's like, well, we were under the impression we could play the game based off of the official statements. But it, by the time Act 2 hits, you couldn't do it. Uh, the third has to do with communication on certain features and, and things like that. Have any of you guys uh, done multiplayer yet? I have not, no. I've only heard bad things. Um, well, he's, I actually really enjoy multiplayer, but there's this one thing, and it's actually a feature, it's not a bug, where if a friend joins your game or you join their game, uh, that person because they make a character to join your game and then they play there's you your character and there's your friend's character playing alongside together Baldur's Gate 3 woohoo super fun that character is now permanently affixed to your party and cannot be removed so I was playing Baldur's Gate 3 my brother logged on and I was like hey you want to play the game together how fun right me and my brother just hanging out in Baldur's Gate playing the game so he makes a character he jumps into my campaign we played for like an hour and a half and then I logged in later to play again, only to discover I couldn't remove his character from the party. So I thought, well, this must be a glitch. This must be a bug. Went on the internet, looked it up. Turns out that's actually how the game is designed. You now, can't, I, like physically, you can't oh, you remove can't, it. You can't, can't in the code. You can't send it to the camp. Nope, can't send it to the camp. Can't remove him from the party. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. Well, I looked into it, and it's a feature. Actually, they want you to take. Uh, a co-op campaign seriously, I guess. I, I, I'm not 100% sure I am speculating a bit, but apparently this is the intended part of the design. Divinity Original Sin apparently did the same thing. The th and I don't like it. I think it's a bad idea, but whatever. I'm not the developer. The thing that I should have known ahead of time, though, was that that's how it worked. And I don't feel like that was well communicated to me, the player. So losing... Uh, two to three hours of yeah. game time with the save issue and then losing another two hours replaying stuff with my I ended up having so many PC crashes because I thought I could play the game I lost a lot of hours I would say several hours of gameplay just because there wasn't a lot of good communication which is kind of weird considering early access they nailed communication yeah. very well yeah that you they should have had especially when you're jumping in or having somebody jump into your campaign there should be a big red box that comes up and says like hello hey. this, yeah. this character is going to be permanently affixed to your party are you sure you want to do this i think that should definitely that's a that's a big one that could really piss people off you know because i'm sure that that's happened to quite a few people i mean oh, think yeah. about it it has happened to a lot I've, I've been reading lots of forums because i was doing a lot of google searches um so that's where the point five comes in i don't take it away more than that despite the fact that those are pretty big issues in my mind because none of my issues have anything to do with the actual gameplay itself right it's more about like outside the game so like technical issues or communication from the development studio but in terms of the game on its own the game itself run is really great the voice acting's good audio's good the quest design is fantastic like everything is good but uh the, those technical issues and then not knowing how things work i think knock it down for me like i can't i can't give it a 10 out of 10 knowing that they let those things by and there's no reason that they should have gone by in my opinion. Okay. Well, uh, seeing as a rumor and you've only played it a little bit, I'm not going to force you to give it a rating. And I know parenthesis, you haven't played it yet. I'm going to give my rating. My rating is a 10 out of 10. 
If I could give it 11, well, what the hell? I'll give it 11 out of 10. <laughs> Let me explain to you why. Because I, I want to go back and talk about a studio from studio, okay, who created, uh, in fairness, I've talked about how much I hate these games because I hate difficult games. But, you know, they created a series of games that were pretty phenomenal um, and pretty well received. Um, I mean, we if you go back through the list and look at Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, Bloodborne, um, those were all great games. Those were all games that were popular. Those are all games that got good rating. Just like Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin 2, you could say the same thing about both of those games. But both of these studios broke through a certain threshold at a certain point and they figure something out and they, they hit, they hit a gold mine lightning in a bottle basically. And that obviously is Elden ring and Elden ring did a couple of things differently than what they did in previous games. Uh, I think one of the main things that was different is in, you know, in like in dark souls, um, you go into a certain conflict, you're kind of locked into completing that before you go on to the next one. In Elden Ring, you have a lot of freedom and um, you can move around and you can, you can face a, an enemy that you can't defeat and you can just say, okay, I'm going to move over here and come back later. I think that was part of it. I think the world was just so fantastical. You know, they they strayed away from the the rote uh, fantasy route and kind of went a little crazy there. So there's a lot of things you could look at as to why Elden Ring broke through and became a literally genre defining moment in the history of video games. There's regardless of whether I like it or not, you cannot argue that Elden Ring changed gaming for good and for a long time. Um, I will say the same thing is happening with Baldur's Gate 3. Regardless of all the things we talked about, the issues that, that that exist, and yes, they just released a patch that they said fixed like a thousand bugs. I mean, that's a lot of bugs. Um, but regardless of that, I think they have they have stumbled upon, well, that's not fair to say stumbled, but they have come up with a formula that allows people who weren't fans of Original Sin to be fans of this game. And that was the same thing that happened with Elden Ring. You had people playing Elden Ring that were not fans of <laughs> and did not like the Dark Souls games. Yes, there were people who loved them, but there were people who couldn't stand them and even went back and played them and said, nope, not for me, but loved Elden Ring. Um, and I think other developers saw this and it kind of created this impact where not only did they get respect, but it is influencing. We're still seeing the influence of, of Elden Ring and, and what it's done. And for me, that to me is a perfect game. A perfect game is a game where regardless of all the flaws, it is seminal. It is just as they said in um, PC Gamer, we're living through a seminal moment in the history of PC gaming. And I can't, I don't think that's over-exaggerating here. I think that this is, Truly, in my experience of playing games for 20, 30 years, specifically CRPGs, this is ridiculous how well they got it and how well they did. And I think they should also be recognized, not just for the game, but the fact that this game was on a three-year beta cycle. I mean, that's unheard of. And that 
they hold these regular events where they involve the community and where they're just reaching out and getting opinions and, and putting themselves out there and communicating. And to me, that has to be rewarded because that's the kind of relationship I like to see in the industry. And no, I know I'm going to get emails that I'm slamming Obsidian. I'm not saying that to slam Obsidian. I'm just saying that I like that. I think that that's something we need to see more of moving forward. And we, we're getting into this era where developing games is such a, a crunch cycle. You know, uh, isn't that the way they call it crunch or whatever, um, where they're making people work uh, 14 hour days and all that crap? Well, Larian was very stubborn about that. We're not going to do that. You know, you're going to have your family. You're going to go home. You're going to enjoy yourself. The game will come out when it comes out. All of these little decisions that they're making, I think, makes them not ideal. I know there's lots of critics out there for them. Um, but to me, is something that I think people can look at and mimic. And it can also help studios when they're arguing with investors now to say, look, look what Larian did. Three years in beta. Can't, why can't we do something like that? It worked for them. I mean, this game is selling through the roof. In a time of in a year when you wouldn't expect it to do this well, I mean, you have you're you're coming off of a crazy year with Tears of the Kingdom, with um, I mean Starfield. I mean, people can't don't have disposable income as much, so they have to be careful. But they're spending money on this game, so not to be on my horse, I will yield the floor to you. But I give it a ten out of ten, not just because of the game, but because of the way it was made. And because of how they're modeling development. I honestly, I hope that the way they develop this game changes the gaming industry. Because I think a lot of us know and understand, if you've been in the gaming a lot, that there's just a lot of not positive, I guess to say, practices. Like you were talking about Crunch, for example. Like the fact that they were like, no, we're going to make a game in our own schedule. We're not going to stick to a publisher deadline or something like that. Like we'll just make the game at its own pace. And releasing a game at launch fully completed rather than a game at launch that is intentionally not done and that you have the intention on finishing as pe- as it's released. like, And then also no microtransactions, which is yes, great. Yes, I, I mean, should have like, mentioned that, yes. I just, I, and the fact that Baldur's Gate 3 is so popular that people in the gaming industry can't not pay attention to it. I, I feel like this is something people should be able to point to and say, look it. It can be done. You can make a game with no crunch. You can make a game without microtransactions. You don't have to um, forego quality to have it done out on date X, Y, Z. And I, I feel like a lot of development studios and publishers are starting to catch up to that idea. But I'm really glad that this is an example to it. Now, I don't think I do worry that like people are going to look at Larian's game and say, well, now every developer has to be this good all the time. I think that's a bit unfair, but it's it's a a great thing in my opinion i think i think it should be noted and just for that larian studios developed and published this game by themselves they didn't have a publisher over their heads telling them hey this is the deadline this is when we have to do this by blah 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 blah. so i think that's just notable because a lot of game companies can't do something like that because they have someone who's paying the bills and who needs it out by a certain well, you know exactly. and, and i think that's another reason why microtransactions things like that um probably weren't even talked about 
Mm. Almost. Yeah. Like. I think, so what I said, the magic word that is the investors, like Larian Studios has been so free when they haven't had to, you know, listen to investors, like imagine. And in this time where movie industry, gaming industry, even even like publishing books, it has gone from humane arts to an industry. And that's that's where you see things like falling. And now you're talking, we are talking about how Larian Studios does no crunch. The employees have a humane way of working. And when they are given time and patience, like magic can happen because it's, it's a human art also. Well, and not just financials. I mean, think about how the influence of big publishers like Disney or Microsoft, or I hate to use them as an example, but um, other big publishers out there who have come into meetings about game development and have forced companies to change because they felt like the game was not fit for a large audience or they'll have you washed down like Disney's famous for doing this, coming in and making you dumb it down per se, or washing down the content or uh, not making it mature. Like look at how much the community has embraced the maturity of this product. And I'm not just talking about bear on human sex. I'm talking about, (laughs) <laughs> the the maturity of this game and and you know there's always been that there was always that argument before at the beginning of movie ratings i don't know if you remember this there was that big argument that if you label your movie a rated r movie it's never going to make as much money as if you label it well this is an american system i guess but pg or pg13 um you know you're you're cutting out that family element and this is definitely a rated R game, if not maybe not a, not out of that rating category. And I don't know what the ESRB gave it, but I'm sure it's mature, uh, if not more than that. Uh, but I think that should be focused on as well, because those companies can have an influence on the content. I think Larian Studios, which is completely normal and natural, which you would as a normal person expect they made a game that they would like to play there you go i mean that's just a nowadays it's such a weird statement to make in a gaming industry where you make a game that you would like to play when nowadays like there's even some game like developers that say that like pride themselves in saying that Oh, we didn't want to make a game that we would like to play, but what the audience would like to play. And that's like, no, that, that's not how you make good product. Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't look at Van Gogh going, I'm going to paint the thing I think other people want to see. You know, they just, artists, you make what you want, and then the people who like what you like follow you and do this and do it with you. Yeah. you know? so. People want authenticity. That's how it should be. Hopefully, um, the you know publishers and people that work with developers see things like this and recognize that like you know what this is a big this was a giant success a huge success and maybe there's some notes to take from that collaboration process 
Yeah, I think so. And I was going to, uh, no parenthesis, I know you haven't actually played the game. I'm sure you've seen some play of it and you understand what the game is. And But I think one of the things that we we forget that are pretty critical things here to remember is this game is a PC game. This is not a console game. I know I played it on console through a cheat by using GeForce Now, but well, it'll be on it's, it's a PC game. It is not only is it just a PC game. Let's let's dig a little deeper. This is a CRPG, people. This is, and I know we're fans, and I know they're great, and yay, yay, flowers, and all that. But this is a CRPG, people. That I can't remember ever a CRPG reaching this level of popularity. So I'm going to turn this to parenthesis and say, does that mean? that it's going to attract a new slew of fans that it's opened the door for people to maybe other CRPG possibilities. Do you feel this is going to have an, an influence in swaying the industry a little bit? Well, yes, it, it is going to, to introduce new people and it is going to, um, to, to sway the industry to a certain extent, but only to a certain extent. I mean, we can, we can, I don't want to, to, to excuse, Crunch. I really don't. I, I don't want to, to excuse big publishers cramming our games full of microtransactions and cutting off content. I really don't. But I mean, it is a fact we live in a world where companies that make computer games go under because they they didn't have more money to make the game. They have to stop development of the game and release the half finish because they didn't have more money. It's not because they, they want to rip us off, it's because for various reasons they they ran out of money. And, and this is one thing I think we have to remember about this. The old adage, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, is true and it's applicable to this situation. As you said, um, sorry, they, uh, Larian Studios have existed since, what was it, uh, 1997? Yeah. They, they've had a slew of, I believe, at least uh, financially uh, somewhat successful games and critical success. They have... They've built up and up and up, and then they had a big breakthrough with Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin Two, and they have, they have, they have been financially successful. They have built up and maintained a, a healthy company, and they built up their reputation in the eyes of their consumers. And this is why they can do this thing now, and to expect other people to start that start out to replicate this is just not realistic. It is how the industry should be, but I, I am afraid I don't believe that's it, it how the industry is or, or could be. I agree with that 100%. And I think there's been some news about that as, you know, there was a big a big little controversy of after it got released that some people on Twitter, well, one person in particular came out as a developer. And it was actually a pretty reasonable tweet <laughs> or X or whatever the hell they call it now. It was uh, it was a post that I didn't think was over, too over the top, but it got really people really dug into it and turned it into something very negative. And I think what they were saying is exactly what Parenthesis is saying in that this is great. Uh, they took a while for them to get here. Let's recognize that this is uh, ten years or whatever of of working hard. This is you know, but. Not everybody can do this and and not everybody has that supply of money available and not everybody has access to 400 developers to work <laughs> yeah. on a single game. So there is we, that reality. 
We have a we have a name for this in Dungeons and Dragons in modern day Dungeons and Dragons. It's called the Mercer effect. Oh yeah, you're yeah. Right, right, actually. Right. Yeah. So like the like you have to look at Larry and uh, and as parenthesis said, it's important to recognize like they've had a history to get where they are. They now have the ability to do this. When you look at a development studio, I think it's important to keep in mind the scope of their practice, like what they can reasonably pull off with what they have. Because you can have the same mindset of like no crunch. You can um, make sure that you're, you know, all these things that Larian is doing that we've all talked about already. You can do those things, but you don't, not every studio has to make a Baldur's Gate 3 size game, right? Like you can make yeah. a short hike, like I talked about at the beginning game, a phenomenally great game for what it's trying to do. Yeah, for me, it's not as much. And while I celebrate that I'm, you know, 90 hours in and I still haven't reached act two. I mean, I'm, I am taking my sweet time. I'm loving that this game is going to be one that I play for a long time and probably come back to many times. I celebrate that, but that's not the reason I think the spotlight should be on them. I think it's other things. I think it's the things I was talking about that they have reinvigorated, whether you like it or not, uh, CRPGs. Um, I think they have brought new people to a a genre of game that has been too long sitting in the corner and not getting the appreciation it deserved. I think that the way they approach working with their community is something a smaller studio could easily mimic and do as well. I think that the mature themes that they embraced is also something that a smaller studio with not a lot of money. These are things that don't require money. These are decisions that they make as a company that really not necessarily is going to affect the investment or uh, stockholder options and things like that as much. Maybe the mature one might cause some issues, but um, I, I just think there are choices being made and how open they were with the development process. I think that can be mimicked by smaller studios. I don't see why it couldn't. I, I can actually think of a couple. There's, um, and this is a silly little game, but there's one called Coral Island that's on Steam that's been in beta for God knows how long. <laughs> and um, but it's another of those little games. I'm talking little like farming game, a uh, fun little game that's gotten great reviews, but they've been very open with the community. They have a discord. They have they're 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 they're, they're not so tight lipped. They're not so scared to speak and tell us what's going on. They're not so afraid of negativity that, and the, and the demon that is the internet that they're not afraid to put their foot out there a little bit. Right. I think that's something to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. um, in regards to the CRPG thing, by the way, um, I don't know if, you, I don't know if anyone knows this or not. I, I deliver UPS. Uh, one of the things I do, I want I talk with customers all the time. I have dozens of customers I talk to about video games and Every single one of them are talking about Baldur's Gate 3. And I know that more than half of them are like, you know, they're like first person shooter only type gamers. Right. And that's that's not a hatred thing. I'm just saying that, like, that's the that's the sphere of gaming they like to be in. They like to go play Call of Duty on tournaments online kind of stuff. And even they are like, I had to get Baldur's Gate because it's just so big. Everyone's talking about it. So I do think that there is going to be a large sway towards CRPGs. I mean, that's just the tiny little sample population, obviously, but still. You know what I'm afraid of? Uh-oh. 
I'm afraid of that developers or investors can't see the forest from the trees and instead of doing instead of working in a way that allowed pg3 to happen they will just try to do what pg3 has oh, I yeah see. yeah i see what you're saying I, I think that'll happen i think that always happens when that happened with uh, elden ring i mean it it's currently happening with elden ring you can see that happening um uh you know let's get a fresh coat of paint and you know paint the cow red or something and it's no longer a cow it's a it's a red monster or whatever <laughs> it's a red painted cow yeah i get that i'm, I'm curious though uh kiwi do you see kiwi do you see this the game do you see obsidian watching the popularity of this game and seeing how it has engaged the world do you see them do, doing this do you see them either just kind of leaning back and saying we're good we're fine. We got this. I'm, really I'm sure there's a multitude of voices and even like there are thoughts battling each other in the heads of the very like the same person. And there are pe those who are thoughts that say the Larian Studios did something great and they did something right. And there are things that they do that we don't. And the other voice is uh, there are things Larian Studio is making and has done that we can't make for for whatever reason. And I like <laughs> I think Obsidian could learn a lot from from this. Like, but I'm not the one to give them the lesson, so they. They'll have to do it themselves, but I know that the more wise people in there, they they will like make make their judgment and change the way they work. I think their studio, and this is another one I'm going to get emails about, but I think their studio is is coming to a a crucial point. Um, I so Fergus is got two kids and a family. He is. I don't know. What is he like? He's in his fifties. I don't know. 57, something like that. Um, been doing this for ages. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. He could be doing this till he's 83, but that's not really what usually happens. This is usually the time when someone of that echelon starts to think about other things, you know, um, and how to spend more time with grandkids or how to maybe pass the baton of your studio. I'm not saying this is happening soon, but just the way he was talking in that documentary, Fergus, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like he's, he's close. I feel like he's getting to the end of days. You're, <laughs> you're think, waiting for this one song. <laughs> no, I think he, I think he's five to 10 years away from retirement at least and i think the reason i mention that is not because i want him to go i think he's amazing and i love him but it's because i think that the studio itself will probably that'll be a turning point for them and maybe looking back on games like this who are successful in crpgs um maybe they decide to do something larger you know instead of always doing short stories maybe they decide 
you know, it's our turn to, to write a novel. Let's do that. Let's do something different. I mean, yeah, I don't think they're ever going to get 400 developers anytime soon. I know that, what is it, Outer Worlds had 100 or 120, but yeah, that's their limit, basically. I'm sure that Avowed maybe has more than that right now, but um, my point being that I think the studio is reaching in the next 10 years a transition point, um, whoever they pass the baton to, and I think that we might start seeing the ripple effects down the road of of what we're seeing now with Baldur's Gate 3. You know, I don't, I don't want them... Like it's not that I like said I don't, but I don't necessarily like want them to do big stories. Like I'm okay f- with them doing it, but I'm just saying let them do what they want to do and let them let them be authentic. Look what Josh Josh Sawyer did with his latest game. Yeah, it like I think no investor would have said like go ahead. Yeah. No, uh, you're right. You're yeah. absolutely right. Well, that- even Grounded was a small team. Really, yeah. when you compare. Well, and Grounded did kind of follow that cycle, didn't it? It was in beta for a while, yep. right? It was really access, and man, that game has... Yep. That is a 10 out of 10 game for and me. And they've well. engaged the community with that game. I would love to see them follow that same route with some of their other games, because I feel like that's a good a good way to do it, you know? Uh, they got a lot of critical acclaim for being customer-focused. Well, that's not the right word. Uh, I don't know. You know, creating like- a... I feel like they don't want to do early access as often for some like because avowed I we it's obsidian we know them it's gonna be he- narrative heavy right and I think they don't want to show too much of that story until the story is ready whereas grounded was not so much about the story but about the gameplay and I think that might be the decisive factor there. So do you see this? I know that avowed is one year away, and that's ridiculous that to think that in one year we're going to actually be playing this game that we've been talking about forever. Um, So obviously BG3 is not going to have a huge impact if they're one year away from release. But does anyone here see them looking at this and maybe getting different ideas or or changing their stance in any way? You're thinking Pillars of Eternity 3, aren't you? You're just not saying it. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't think they are. I don't think they're going to do... I don't think they're going to do anything based off of BG3. I feel like, if anything, what what it'll be is, oh yeah, we're doing the right thing by making games that we like making. I mean, like if you look at uh, what they were talking about with like multiplayer and and in in that documentary, uh, it was insisting on multiplayer because you know they believed uh, that that's what's what publishers want them to make. And I think with with Xbox, uh, especially because they're doing you know Game Pass, and it, it gives them opportunities to do smaller games like Pentiment, which I I feel like if if I feel like would not exist if Xbox if Xbox didn't buy Obsidian, um, because it's is a perfect Game Pass game. So yeah. I feel like they're kind of already in that like we're gonna lean towards what 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 we do best i know you hate that but we're gonna lean towards that and <laughs> i i feel like i feel like if anything the only thing bg3 would do is yeah we're doing the right thing we'll, we'll tell them yeah we're doing the right thing by making games that we feel like we one like want to make but also uh not making the game based off of what we think others want but don't you think the one side effect this might have um, Gingerino, here I come. Is that 
it's bringing all these people to CRPGs now. It's opening up this genre to a wide audience and people are becoming more interested in this style of gameplay. I realize that they are still reeling from the financial result of Dead Fire. And I realize that they're still gun shy. Do you think this might convince them otherwise that maybe things have changed enough that we could invest in another CRPG? It doesn't have to be Pillars 3. Do you think that's something they might do? Um, Yes and no. I think that Baldur's Gate 3 and potentially the impact that this game will have on the market will kind of it will remove that justification of well we can't really do another crpg because it's not going to be financially viable or it won't hit very well it's like like this has demonstrated but more importantly might change the audience's opinions of like what games they want to play that obsidian if they wanted to could do another crpg the question i'm wondering though is whether or not they want to because i mean like the development studio yeah they've got how many people working there but how many of them since the first and i'm i'm not gonna we're, i'm gonna say pillars of eternity but i'm not trying to just pigeonhole just that series how many of the developers that are there right now have been there since pillars of eternity like have they right have people right. come and gone are the developers that are at that studio right now interested in making that game because one of the things we've said about larian is that they developed a game that they want to play like that's what kiwi said huh. and so the question i'm wondering is is do the developers at Obsidian right now? want to make a crpg yeah i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a a kiwi's advocate here and say that they don't want to make a boe3 but microsoft is gonna tell them to make one (laughs) i don't know i feel like they'd be hands off actually i don't i don't think they're gonna force them to make a game especially something in that size right i don't know maybe but I, i doubt it I don't think so. And then again, all of the little things or big things that make Baldur's Gate 3 lightning in a bottle. I mean, like you have the the fact that they're, you know, they published the game themselves. <laughs> the fact that the or what about the fact that the game director is also the CEO and founder of Larian? Or what about the fact that they're using Dungeons and Dragon IP, which is basically a money money printing machine? You know what I mean? So like there's so many different things that I think would would make it so that hey, this was this was cool, but I don't think it's like pushing anyone other than maybe someone in 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 a position of power in Obsidian saying, "Oh, that's a cool idea for a CRPG. I now I kind of want to make one because I love this game so much." Not because of how popular BG3 is, but because Oh, I played it, and I want to make something similar. Does that make sense? Which I think is always what happens inside the game industry. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I and I and I do see that that's a possibility. Um, I don't know. I I love the game. Um, I, I will say that um, I'm excited to see what they do next with this game, um, and what other things they release for it. I think it's a game I'll be playing for a long time, um, and. I one of the things I we haven't talked about real quick that I wanted to mention that I think is fascinating about this game that is also a development technique that I think is pretty cool. And this happened with Elden Ring as well. And that is the ability to craft your own story as you're playing the game. And I'll give you an example of uh, 
and this is not spoilery. There, there's so many things in there. This isn't giving too much away, but there's a part in the game where you, you approach this situation. There's a bunch of goblins or whatever. Um, and, uh, you kind of have several choices there. Well, I blew them all to shit, right? So they're done. Um, and I was sitting at dinner talking to my daughter about it and, you know, saying how I barely scraped through in that fight. And, uh, and she's like, what fight? And I'm like, you know, the remember the windmill, the, she's like, what? Oh, yeah. She's like, you, you killed them all. I was like, uh, yeah, they were, they were mean. I mean, <laughs> and she's like, she's like, no, they're my friends. I'm like, what the, <laughs> they're your what? And so she explained how she approached it and how she dealt with it and the, that she used a particular character and a partic- who was going to have certain, you know, stat abilities that was going to help with that, you know, ta- discussion. And basically she made a friend that then later in the game turned out to help her with another situation, which I'm sure those who've played know what I'm talking about. In a big way, in a huge way that I didn't have access to. My story was completely different when I reached that part of the game. They saw me and they're like, oh, you're that asshole. But with her, she had a buddy with her and everybody's like, hey, yo, she's with me. And I'm like, holy shit, that's so cool. You know how everybody can craft a different story and you come to that, they call them water cooler moments where you come together with people like kind of what you're saying, Ginger, you know, where you're chatting with all these people, you know, who play the game. And it's not the same experience. You're sharing different ways that problems are solved. And for me, that's a mechanic that can't be overlooked. I think yeah. that any any game, especially CRPGs, that's a critical component. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. And it's especially since it's a Dungeons and Dragons game, because that's a and d ass thing to do, to be able to have that variety of approach. So Quintessential. Like, not... <laughs> Not even Obsidian Justice. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Not not to that extent. And it's difficult to do. Granted, that's why you have 400 developers. That's why you have branching narratives like you do. I think the last game I remember that tried to do this um, to this extent, and again, I, I haven't played every game, but I remember Detroit Become Human. You know, that was part of their selling point for that game was your narrative is your narrative. You're going to make decisions and we've created such a branching arc in the game that you're going to reach a different point than everyone else. And when you solve problem four or five down the road, it's going to be reflections of decisions you made in, in one. And yes, Obsidian kind of does that, but it's, it's your paths are cut. That's the difference. So with Obsidian games like Outer Worlds, you can take this path, you can take this path, or you can take this path. That's not how they handle it here. You can take any path. And um, that just blows my mind. Yeah, they don't even tell you that there's like paths to take. Like the game is so, like it, at times it feels so organic and like you're free to do whatever you want. And the amazing thing is that for the vast majority of cases that you think you are being the original guy, that uh, I'm sure no one will think of doing this, but you know, they've already thought it through and they have all, all these branching baths uh, coming on from that your your unique decision. 
Yeah, I will. And this is not spoilery either. This is just really interesting. Like there is a, a place in the game called a goblin camp and it's a big part of the game and that's not spoiling anything. There's a guy online that solved that entire problem. You guys probably saw this video, right? I, Where yeah. he he lurked around in stealth mode and he placed barrels, exploding barrels, <laughs> certain intervals from each other. And then he hit one and the whole place I'm talking chain reaction blows the whole place to smithereens. I mean, you don't even have to do it on stealth, like. Yeah, you can just walk in. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah you like, can just walk like in. Because they attacked me almost instantly. Yeah. So. Um. If if you change your appearance to draw, for example, like they will bow down before you, basically. Uh, I say so. The goblin in the there's a druid place. There's a goblin that is uh captured there. I released that goblin. And so when I got to the goblin camp, she was the one stationed on watch. She was like, oh, I know this bugger. You laid him in. He's fine. And so oh, I was wow. Yeah. See, and then my daughter handled it totally differently. Um, and I, I don't want to give that. I don't want to give it away. I'll tell you guys at the end. But she had a very interesting way of of handling it. So and I had not even thought of doing that either. In addition to being friends with them, she did something very interesting so i'll tell you about think, that later i think that's the difference be between a lot of the th things we're talking about is like in this game i'm noticing that like these little decisions that you're making are coming back like with obsidian we have a lot of big narrative choices right like you're talking to, to people and then they present you with this very clear choice of you're going down this path or you're going down this path but then in Baldur's gate you're doing something like okay i'll you know i'll release this this goblin from her prison which in the moment didn't feel very like it didn't feel impactful at all. Like, it was like, oh, okay, cool. That's a thing. And then it mattered down the road. And I feel like it's those tiny little decisions having impact that is really kind of pushing and fueling these different paths people go down. Because it's just, there's so many little things and they're all interacting with each other. It's almost like they made a million set pieces and they're just letting you play around with each of them. Yeah, they approached the game development like um, Unreal Engine, right? They're they're creating the circumstances, they're creating the tools, and then letting. I don't know how they even do it because at the end of the day, we're talking zeros and ones. I mean, so it just blows my mind how they pulled it off, but they did, and it might be just a big illusion, you know. And I guess it is a big illusion because it is just zeros and ones. But I think it, that's a interesting thing that you met because, like, Tears of the Kingdom, which is another well-received game. They kind of did the same thing with their abilities in that game, right? Yes, like, they did. Like, they did the exact same. Here's four abilities. We don't know what you can do with them, or we do. Just have fun. It's like just giving people the stuff to play with, and then people play with it. Yeah, people. Some guy made a giant lawnmower in uh, Tears of the Kingdom, and he just <laughs> he just drives it like fifty feet above the ground, and it just rolls over everything and slices it. It's <laughs> it's crazy that, and I love that, and I know that took a lot of work and a lot of effort, but it's worth it. You know, you're pushing gaming forward. You're pushing the genre forward. You're not, you're not my daughter. Who's like, well, I make grilled cheese and I'm good at it. So why can't I just make grilled cheese? Why do you want me to make spaghetti? Uh, well, yeah. It's a little harder to make spaghetti, but then you'll be able to know how to make grilled cheese and spaghetti, but I'm comfortable making grilled cheese. That's what I do good at. Oh man. You making the right grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah. It's a fine. Anyway, I mean, we could talk forever about this, and I don't, I don't want to belabor it too much longer. But um, I think 
it is groundbreaking. I think it will have a big effect. I think eventually it will have an effect on decisions they make at Obsidian. Uh, I know you think I'm crazy, but I think it will. Maybe it's um, and I think that it's opened up CRPGs. So I wanted to pass this along to you guys. I want to give you a second to think about it. But if we have listeners, I know most of our listeners are CRPG fans, but if we have listeners that aren't really big and just have discovered this genre of game, you know, who are, who are like falling in love with the way that in this, my daughter's one of them. She didn't really play CRPGs, but she was talking to me the other day about how she loves how the game stops and how it gives her a chance. It gives her time to think through things. She's not the kind that goes into, you know, Oh, I love call of duty where I had to have Twitch and, but she likes that the game stops at encounters and, and you have to really think about things. And I'm like, you know, there's other games that do that. Right. And so it opens the door for me to tell her about those. So if you were thinking of giving a recommendation, maybe one or two um, that are not Larian games, we'll put those out of the picture because we know that those are obvious to people. But if you were going to recommend a CRPG to someone who's just come into it and they're just really getting their fingers into what Baldur's Gate is, what would you recommend? Um, I, I'll start. Um, I would say for me, um, I would say, uh, okay, it depends. If you want fantasy, it's going to be something different. But I would almost jump in and say, if you want something unique and different, but that's really cool and, and gives you a lot of freedom to do different things, my recommendation to them would be Disco Elysium. Yeah. I think that is a mm. great game. Lots of choices, lots of, but it's different. It's very different. And uh, that would be the one that I would say. I mean, there's a there's a ton of others, but I would hate to do something like Tyranny because I think, I, although it's a great game, I feel like it might be a little too much for a beginner. Um, you can tell me I'm wrong, but that, that would be the one I would recommend. So if we're going to go down the list, I'm going to start with Remoran. I'll put you on the spot. You got this person in front of you. They've just finished Baldur's Gate 500 hours in. They're ready to try another CRPG. What are you going to say? I'll give them two. I'll give a, like for one for a beginner. And when I say beginner, it, I, I mean like beginner in the type of CRPGs that we play. Because Baldur's Gate is such a big AAA game. There's a lot of differences inside like the, the normal CRPGs, I'll, I'll call them. So I'll say that for beginner, Shadowrun. Because oh, those, the, the three Shadowrun games, because they're short. And they, they, they give you, I feel like, very entry-level understanding of, of, of what uh, other CRPGs do. And then the other one is, of course, Arcanum, because I just played it and it was incredible. Uh, it's <laughs> such a huge game. It's such a huge game, and it, it, there's a huge learning curve. I actually bought the, ma the, the manual, like, physically, because I wanted to read it, like, while sitting down. Um, well, and it's different. It's steampunk, it's, right? How, exactly. There's not a whole steampunk. lot of games that do that. Exactly. The world is so awesome. The way I think it has the best uh, traversal system that because it's all it's a huge map procedurally generated. You can walk from I read this. You can walk from one side of the map to the other in like 40 hours. Um, but the way like it traverses is the most immersive that I feel like that type of CRPG has ever been for me, at least. Arcanum. Fair, fair choice. I like that one. Um, I'm going to push forward to parenthesis and you have to give us one or two games that these people who are discovering CRPGs, they want to try something different. Um, 
what what are some that you would recommend? Well, first of all, uh, I would recommend Disco Elysium as well. It's, it's a great game, and uh, and it does not have uh, any kind of real time combat, so so you can take time. Uh, but I would actually like to go in, in a novel direction, and um, it's a bit of an odd one, but I would actually recommend part one and two of Steve Jackson's Sorcery series that is uh, that has been made in, into a computer game and a and a mobile game because it is a it is a adaption of, of a game book series and it introduces you to the choice and consequence and how this affects your game while also being by by its uh, source material very limited and it, it kind of for, forces you through a a, a flow uh, and it, it's only the first two because the, the the last two kind of opens up that in a way that is a bit intimidating if if you're not used to this kind of games yeah i like that a lot i especially like that suggestion because it is very uh, malleable to platforms. It, you can play it on anything. I mean, you, you play it on your iPad, you can play it on your phone, you, you can play it, you know, on your laptop, you can do it pretty much anywhere. And it, it is fantastic. It's a, it's a great one. Um, Kiwi, do you have a, a be all end all CRPG? And I know you, I know what you're going to say, but I'm just going to lead up to it. Anyway, which one do you recommend Kiwi? No, <clears throat> there's like a caveat to be said that, and that, like, congratulations, you played PG3, but there's no game that will, you know, match up, match to that level in ZRPGs. There's no game that's that's quite sim simply that. And a lot of the other good games are ZRPG, uh, like isometric games. They're, they will be much more simple. You will lack the amount of, like, choice and consequence. They will be very, very simple about what all the different things that you can do but having said that my recommendations go to those who want unique and authentic games and the i'm gonna say two and one is planescape torment mm -hmm. and it's a bit of an old game might be might require some getting used to it but once you get used to it you, you you'll realize why I'm, i mean the companions themselves like they're quite unique another another one is of course pillars of eternity one like that's the they have somehow distilled the essence of the old isometric crpgs into one game there and while that game also is a bit hard to get into, once you get into it, it's worth it. I agree 100%. Story-wise, uh, lore-wise, it's a masterpiece. There's no question about it. I mean, that's why we're here. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, that's why we're fans. Um, Gingerino, what is it? What's the, what is the, the big one that you're going to recommend? This is, this is a tough one for me. Um... Well, it's Pillars of Eternity was already said because I think mean, I think it's the obvious one. Um, yeah, I as someone who disliked CRPGs for the longest time, and am in the very small camp of preferring real time with pause over turn based. Like, I'm trying to think if you've jumped into Baldur's Gate three and you're like, okay, I do want to get into other CRPGs. What could I pick? 
I think it's been said already, like Baldur's Gate 3 is kind of right now the top of the mountain. Like it's going to be hard to find one that's that good. Yeah. But if you're wanting to jump into it, um, there's a few that's been said and it depends on what your favorite part of Baldur's Gate is. Like if you if you really like the combat mechanics, for example, don't do Disco Elysium or Planescape because <laughs> there's not a lot of combat in those games. <laughs> um, but if if you do like the combat, then it's uh, it's a matter of I mean, obviously the other Larian games, but um, I think Pillars of Eternity 2 is for sure a great entry. Um, as especially, I think it's just different enough in that, like you can't rotate the camera and that it also tells a great story and it allows turn-based or real time with pause. So I think like if you're, if you're kind of moving around in the CRPG world, I think Pillars of Eternity 2 is a good one to jump into. Um, if you're okay with other narrative games, uh, game deck is a really great role playing aspect of the game. Like it, and that was where you're a, a video game detective in the far future. It's not a very, it's not necessarily the m- most well executed game, but it's a very interesting uh, approach narratively, even from a detective point of view. Uh, but the the one I would really recommend, especially if you're trying to make a transition into CRPGs, is Dragon Age Origins because it's kind of a, a happy in between. Yeah, I, I was going to say that one. Yeah. Oh, sorry, man, I ruined it for you. No, no, I've already, I think I already said mine, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Dragon Age Origins, right? Because, but you never know what's going to get you into CRPGs. The the game that got me into CRPGs was not Pillars of Eternity. It was a little uh, island defense game called Bad North. That was the game that got me into CRPGs, if you can believe it or not. Wow, interesting. I have to check that one out. I don't know anything it, about that it's one. Not a CRPG. <laughs> it is. It is not even close. It's I mean, so there's funny. So... Go ahead. Uh, it's so it's so funny that I I saw a, a thread online saying like, "Will uh, Baldur's or is Baldur's Gate like influenced by Dragon Age or something?" Baldur's Gate three, and I was like, "Are you, I was uh, what a funny chicken and egg situation where the original um, Dragon Age was yes. basically Baldur's Gate light." You know what yes, I mean? Yes. So, you're so right. I, I found that hilarious. I guess it's just younger people growing up or seeing this and saying, "Oh, it's it's like Dragon Age." Yep. Yeah, that's hilarious. I mean, and and I would even say I, I know it's a. I would say even more even more friendly than Origins, which I loved, is Inquisition. And Inquisition was really good about giving you story, giving you choice, allowing you to move around, but you could also pause combat. And um, you know, there are a lot of issues with that game. I understand, but we're just trying to project things that might be similar. And that one kind of is similar. I mean it it's a it is a long game it's uh it's it's got beautiful graphics it's uh pretty engaging the characters the companions are interesting um combat maybe i mean a lot of people argue that well there's videos where, where you don't where you know you you can pretty much win any battle it's not that hard um but uh i think it's a ju- an entry point a second entry point into getting into that style of game it's a good one especially with uh dragon age 4 coming out soon i think that's yeah. actually a good one to play now no i totally agree with that these are all good suggestions i mean we there's so many out there there's celeste pathfinder kingmaker we didn't mention yeah. um there it's a big world for if you're not familiar with our crpgs there's there's lots of choices there's wasteland there's i mean there's so much out there that 
uh, you can you can dip your feet into. Give it a try. Find something cheap on Steam and and give it a go. You might be surprised at how much you now. Just realizing that, as Kiwi said, <laughs> BG three is like the you know you're not really going to find that, but you can find things with elements of that. And maybe moving forward, we'll find more of those in the future. Who knows? The thing that you like about BG three is done somewhere else in another game. Yes, at one aspect for sure. But we don't. We, yeah. Depending on what you like. Yeah, exactly. Um, then, so go ahead, Kiwi. Then this, if you can believe it or not, but before BG3, there was BG1 and BG2. <laughs> yeah, there was. No. They influenced They influenced pretty much everything else, right? That might I mean, be a bit of a jump, though, like the dated me. Like, it's a tough one. BG1, I mean, the, even the enhanced version is a little bit tough for people because it's so clunky. It. I couldn't get through it. And I know it's that's clunky. a to say for some people. I couldn't do it. Yeah, don't play it on an iPad. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a good one. BG two is a lot easier and better. They fix you know, but it, I don't know. I mean, people say the same thing about Pillars One. I mean, it's yeah. a phenomenal game, but it's it's I'm hard. To feel it. I did a I recently started up a new character, and I'm kind of feeling the datedness of Pillars. Even I mean, yeah, it's yeah. For for anyone is, out there, for anyone out there who is thinking of playing Baldur's Gate one or two, it, it it's pronounced to hit armor class zero. That's that's how that's pronounced. <laughs> oh right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. You'll you'll get it when you you'll get the. <laughs> you'll get it when you see it. <laughs> um. So I want to. I've been ha- kept you here for too long. I, I want to do a couple of emails. I put together these. These are not all necessarily emails. A lot of these are statements, and we don't. These will go quickly. But I wanted to show that I'm accepting, and I'm going to shed the light on people who just don't like me. So I'm going to read <laughs> some of these statements and I things. Like about people who just are not a big fan of me. Um, these are probably all Obsidian developers, you know, with an alias. But um, <laughs> that fucker, yeah, they're like, I hate him. Anyway, whatever. Hey, Taylor Swift um, got haters too, man, but she overcame it. Come on, Obsidian, you can make spaghetti. I know grilled cheese is your thing, but you can do it. <laughs> I believe in you. Anyway, the first one is some, uh, someone named April Rain Shower who directly in the email addressed me. And I will read this word for word here. Um, Sora. I don't think it is fair that you assume Obsidian is not ambitious simply because the scope of the game is smaller. Obsidian is very ambitious in my opinion, which we can see with games like Grounded and Pentiment. You can make smaller games like Avowed and still be ambitious with things like story, mechanics, and depth over breadth. So it was a statement, not a question. Yeah, fair enough. It's, it's, think, a, it's a critique, is what it yeah, is. It is I think this, person, this person is subjected to the dictionary definition of ambition. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, April rain shower. I love April rain showers myself. So uh, thank you for your thing. The only response I'll have is that I, you know, I try to be fair. I think that they could push themselves a little bit more. Um, and I hope that they do that in the future. And when you reach a comfort zone, sometimes that's, that's, you know, you have to go on an apology tour and explain why you're in your comfort zone and why you only want to make grilled cheese. So anyway, 
I thought that was appropriate, especially today. This one is from Hail Savage Bow. Uh, dress me completely here. Okay, here we are. I'm going to uh, have to chop this one up a little bit. There's a lot of vulgarities in this one. Let me see. You can <laughs> you fuck yourself. No, wait, let me see. Uh, Can't say that word. These are all with exclamation points, so I'm going to try to do it properly. Oh, man. Um, you complain when Obsidian communicates. You complain when Obsidian doesn't communicate. It's no wonder that they don't release more info or develop a connection with community when you jump on their ass every single time. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Uh, I mean, okay, I did notice that actually <laughs> there was an episode where you said I want them to put out some more stuff and then they released the interviews and stuff and you're like man the stuff in this interview is so disappointing <laughs> no I, I hey amen I no, but here's the thing this is like okay if they released an interview with information and you find it disappointing are you therefore also supposed to be like well they communicated so I'm not allowed to be disappointed right you're allowed to be both you're allowed to be both and mm -hmm. uh but this person is also allowed to express frustration with that. That's fine. Both both of your guys' experiences are completely valid here. The explanation right, of swear words might be a bit much, but outside yeah. of that, <laughs> bring back April rain showers. At <laughs> least none of these were like, didn't want to kill my dog. I had one of those. I'm like, I don't even have a dog. Anyway, um, Bad Cake 334 <laughs> sent me an email. The game isn't even out yet. You need to calm down. Stop, <laughs> stop taking things so personally and getting upset with Obsidian. Do you even love their games? You say that it, in every episode. I love yeah. Obsidian. If, if you yeah. love them, you can't criticize them. <laughs> I know. I um, think do any of those like comment any of any of us others on the U? Um, there has been a couple. Um, oh, man. Tell me. Uh, uh, well, I can go back through and find them if you want. I, <laughs> I just, some of them are yeah. pretty brutal. So, Gingerino hate mail incoming. <laughs> Not me. <I'm> <laughs> no, he's, he's the good boy. Uh, um, uh, it's I'm really sure most of me. them are for me and Kiwi, but oh. uh, <laughs> that's because you guys have opinions and people get, uh, you know, people get angry about opinions that don't, don't agree with them, right? So, that's fine. Parenthesis, you were about to say something, and I, I didn't catch it. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to deploy the... Uh, I, don't, I can't remember his name, but there's a critic in the animated movie Ratatouille, and, the, and he's asked, well, don't, don't you, why are you so critical of restaurants? Don't you like food? No, I love food, and that's why <laughs> I, I only swallow if it's perfect, or words <laughs> to that effect. Very true. I love and it's it. the same here. We love games. We love Subsidian, and we want them to do better. Yes. Hallelujah. Um, somebody's got to prod them a little bit. I mean, you know. Uh, anyway, the last one here is from Ghost Hunter 13. Um, and this one's actually got a little meat to it. It's not just... Uh, so I could I actually respond to this one, maybe. Um, you criticize the amount of combat shown in the trailer but you say you love the Pillars game, which are mostly tactical combat RPGs. What would be an acceptable amount of combat for you? Obsidian has always had combat in their games. Um, well, my response would be, <laughs> I thought the trailer leaned a little bit heavily on combat, 
because that's pretty much what they showed and they didn't show a lot of story. And I can understand maybe why, because they were didn't want to reveal too much about the game because they know we would pounce on it. Um, so maybe that's why, but I also know that the trailer wasn't even made by them. Um, it was made by another third party company. Um, so who knows how much involvement they really had in it. So I just, I do like pillars games. I like the tactical nature of it, but the real reason I like pillars games, I'll be completely honest, is the narrative. I love the depth of the lore. I love the story. I love the characters and the personalities. That's why I love obsidian i mean not that i hate combat but that's why i love obsidian games anybody want to chime in here uh, about this question specifically or in general yeah yeah i mean <laughs> which one of the two is it you just said yeah <laughs> <laughs> well if you criticize the amount of combat shown in the trailers what this person was okay so at. about about this question okay um yeah i don't know i don't know um it's there was a lot of combat i also like narrative more but i guess that's what the i guess that was the decision on the direction for the trailer this was all i've con concluded i'm patient yeah, yeah this it's hard it's like it's not so simple to show a narrative in a trailer well, you can uh it's usually like off-screen voice but yeah. i mean i guess i it said the cinematic trailer the, yeah like what, what, what a nice job in like narrations wise yeah but how do you show it. this in, in like gameplay cinematic not really you can't i mean most of the time when you learn about narrative of a game it's when they're doing like a developer direct where they're interviewing someone about something and then they reveal aspects of the narrative so yeah for a gameplay trailer i mean it seemed pretty straightforward to me i've been watching gameplay trailers for nearly 30 years now well not 30 years but 20 years maybe and it seemed pretty, seemed pretty on point. It's not what I'm interested in, but it seems pretty on point for what they were doing. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it made it it look exciting. We talked about that, and that that might be the reason for the choice is that you know it's it it's what most gamers are familiar with, and they are trying to market this. They even said it in the documentary. They are trying to make this a game that everyone will play. This is not going to be your your grandfather's pillars game. This is. A new game, uh, just borrowing from that that lore and that world. So I get it. Oh. Um, What's wrong with grandfathers? I know. I mean, yeah, they're, seriously, they're uh, they smell funny. You know. Okay, that's it. <laughs> before we're done. We, hey, can I say something before we uh, before we sign off? Fire away. Okay, like no, this is and this is this is kind of in defense of you, but it's also in defense of the. <gasps> it's in defense of you and the people critiquing, right? Because okay. it's. Um, I don't know if people know this, or maybe I'm just in the dark and it's really obvious. Um, a lot of the time, I I don't find myself necessarily agreeing with Sora on some of these things, like that he brings up about Obsidian and the critiques that he makes. Most of the time, I don't align with the things that he's saying. But I also, you, I think we all need to recognize that he is making a critique from his perspective, and there have been also multiple times where he's made critiques or he has said things that. I haven't even thought about, right? And it's like whenever mm. anyone does or says anything that other people can see or hear, there's going to be people coming in from the left. There's going to be people coming in from the right with different critiques of the thing that you've done. And I know a lot of people that probably have an opinion on like, well, Sora, you're too much this, or Sora, you're too much that. 
but it's like he's coming at it from his perspective of like he wants obsidian to push themselves in a different direction that he wants to see him try something they're uncomfortable with and that's not an invalid critique uh but the same goes for it, it's kind of interesting because people are sending you these emails critiquing you when you're about you critiquing obsidian right like they're doing the thing that you're doing to them because some people are listening to sora on this show and they're saying hallelujah brother preach say that thing you know oh i do get good email i do get compliments exactly, right there was so one in like, particular i i don't know if he wants me to mention his name but he he's he's awesome like he will hold me to task but he does it in a way that is understanding that that this type of conversation is necessary for growth and that it's not being mean to be mean i mean yes sometimes i'm i add a little comedic element to it uh but uh, you know the grilled cheese for example but it the point is that it's you know it it needs to exist. That sort of discussion needs to exist. If we're all just fanboys, um, we don't get progress. Exactly. I guess I'm not trying to tell people not to critique you, Sora, because that would be, uh, uh they won't listen it, to it, you. Well, no, it would be hypocritical <laughs> because if I was like, don't critique Sora, let him critique obsidian, right? Like that would be, they, they should be allowed to say what they think of your thoughts. Just like you're allowed to say what you think about obsidian. But yeah, I, thank I, you. I, I don't want it to get to a vitriolic state. Is it hasn't. I, I mean, there's a few people that want to kill my dogs, but not yeah. many. And the, I mean, those are the ones that I think I was like, you know what? Like, if you're allowed you're to have, always going to gonna get that. I've, I, you're always going to get that. I'm Especially when it. this game comes out, Gingerino, you better be ready because when this game comes out and it's more of an, a mass audience thing, not only are we going to get more listeners, you're going to get more listeners. It's just going to happen. One would hope. One would hope. I've seen a, I don't know. This is funny to me. I've seen a massive dip in listenership ever since the, the June gameplay trailer. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, we've been getting that a little bit too. So, uh, and, but, you know, I mean, I, I think, uh, and uh, number one, I don't care. And No, I, no, we're doing know, this for the fun of it. But, uh, you know, you just kind of have to be ready for that and kind of laugh it off. And and then there are certain ones where I'll I'll I can reflect on a little bit. You know, I can reflect on the fact that, you know, about the combat one. Yeah, that was maybe that was unfair, but I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to go sulk in a corner and cry. I'm not going to go. I need to be a better man. No, I'm I. You be you. You do you. I do me. That's the way it is. Um, okay, so that's it for today. But I, I want to thank you guys for coming and joining the discussion. I thought it was really good. Um, Remoran, where can people find you if they want to find you? Oh, at Sir Remoran on X slash Twitter as thing, whatever they want to call it. Good one. Parenthesis, what about you? Uh, they can find me at Twitch, where I stream under the handle Command Objective, all in one. I still love that name. That is such a freaking great name. I agree. Command. TV, do you want people to find you? Not this time. Good. Gingerino, <laughs> how can they get in touch with you? Uh, um, you can follow my podcast, World of Aurora, which explores the lore of Pillars of Eternity, not that we talked about it a lot today, uh, or Gingerino42 on Xtwit. And. I don't know. There's not really much else. I do You've more stuff. Churning on... them out. I've been impressed. Like, I mean, I know that I've ours have been like once a month, but you've been really keeping with it. Kudos I... to you. Thanks, man. I made a decision a while ago. I'm like, all right, let's try weekly and see what happens. And that's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if it's helped or not, but um there was 
I was worried that the June showcase was going to say, hey, the game's coming out right away. And I'm like, oh I still God. have so much to cover. So <laughs> I need to get this all out now. Well, you don't have to worry about that. That's for yeah, sure. I have a year. Um, yeah, at least. Yeah. And we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. If you need to get in touch with me or the show in general and you want to ask questions, it is aboutcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter slash X slash whatever it'll be called next month. Uh, and that is at Avowedcast. We also have an Avowedcast.com website where we just post when episodes come out. And right now that's all we're putting on there. So thanks for listening. And we'll be back hopefully next month. Circumstance does not afford me time to address ridiculous queries. 